0: The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as entertainment and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. Next on a very special Keep Your Hat On This is Keep Your Hat On a show by three nerdy nobodies and one nerdy kind of somebody about nothing in particular Keep Your Hat On is brought to you by the Narrow Band Broadcast Network NBBN The focus is on you by PodSquadPDX.com Painless Podcasting And by the kind support of our listeners via Patreon. Patreon. Create on your own terms. Shit's about to get real, kids, as Andrew, Chris, and Rob swim the deep end sans floaties with Dr. Mark and our very special guest, Dr. Hugh Miller, Professor Emeritus at Loyola University, Chicago. So, do your part today, Joe. Join the millions of your neighbors and turn in your shoes for industry, whatever the hell that means. I'm your stalwart and intrepid announcer, Michael Brumage, here to say... You want deep? You can't handle the deep. Anyway, here are your hosts, Andrew, Rob, Dr. Mark, and as always, Chris.
1: And welcome back. This is Keep Your Hat on the show where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott, along with my good friends, Robert Anthony and Christopher Vicano and Dr. Mark Peterson. And we're flying by the seat of our pants today. Mark, yeah. you're, you're down south sort of uh <laughs> f- further south than you started out this morning if so. you're from
2: north dakota i am yeah that's true,
1: that's true. <laughs> no you're down in skokie uh I'm just outside of chicago uh, yeah and you're headed down to the home away from home away from home for you which of course mobile, yeah mobile i i love mobile mobile again people don't understand Do you like mardi gras that's where it started that's right that's the you know real the mardi gras
2: The real horror for me going home now is that when I was living there, there's a lot of it's one of the old cultural sites in in the uh, Deep South. And it was one of uh, one of a handful of places where so, for instance, uh, if you were gay in the 60s or 70s, there's like two or three places you could live in the Deep South, right? and mobile was one of them so there's like artistic community right you know you have to remember truman capote was from near there right jimmy Buff- Jimmy buffett's from there jimmy buffett went to the same high school i did about 10 years ahead of me wow no kidding. here's the horror though when i was there it was it was pretty much a sleepy little town if you go now um it's like what austin texas was in the 1970s for music oh hippies and bohemians it really was mm-hmm.
1: yeah Hello, Dr. Miller. Hello. Oh My boy, and we're weird. being crashed. We're being crashed by yeah. yet another PhD. We we're being bombed because Mark is an invading party right now. So, so many doctors there right? Do you go? Invasive
3: species. Oh, he's got a We are
1: welcoming Dr. Well, Hugh well, Miller. Yes. And wow, well, there we go, Dr. Miller. It's an honor to meet you. I'm Andrew Scott. The guy with the hat is uh, Chris Vicano. The guy with hey there, no hat, no hair you. is Robert Anthony, and you know the dummy sitting next to you. He does. Um, you go what? too
4: well. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Mark was just going over his uh, his plans on heading down to uh, Mobile again, mm-hmm. and it's pronounced Mobile. Thank you. Uh, hey. Yeah,
4: it's, no, next door to Stabile.
1: Right. He's emeritus oh, a, now. He retired that's a, last year. That's,
4: that's an Ursula Le Guin inside joke.
1: I know. And I caught it. I'm just busy doing it. something else because of course, <laughs> Ursula was a, a very proud resident of our great land here, the Pacific Northwest. And uh, I am, I am a, a, a deep and abiding, abiding member of the Le Guin cult of there intellect. So uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's, she's already very missed. So, uh, we, we're gonna do a little quick where the hell did you guys wind up beginning your path together?
4: Graduate school at the University of Toronto. Yeah, it's true. Which would have what? been about wow. 30
2: years so. No. Don't make you're gonna make yourself unhappy. 40, 40 years ago. 40, 40, years 40 ago.
1: fucking years ago. 40 years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, we can say forty fucking on this show. That's yeah, our that's our, our of, prerogative.
3: Mark Mark Dr. Mark, you went to school in, in, in Canada?
1: In Canada,
2: yes, we both did. It's even yeah. weirder for him, though. He, you know, he. You're from New Orleans originally. That just, originally, that just so
3: explains a lot. So,
2: right. well, you know, we tried to get into the other schools, but Toronto was better. Yeah.
4: No, no, they weren't. Uh, <laughs> Toronto was about as good as it got. Uh, That's I what just, I was trying to say. It was about as good as it got.
2: Yeah, and when we were there, I was like, we didn't actually know this. So I guess we did know it at the time. But well, we got our asses kicked essentially for like 10 years. That's pretty I, I much turned, what the I whole turned thing down, was. I
4: turned down Yale to go to Toronto.
2: There. Outstanding. I turned
4: down Cornell, actually. That you, it, uh, yeah, yeah, that's
2: right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it had nothing to do with status. It had everything to do with like just going to
4: Toronto. Yeah, it sounded like a really. <laughs> it, 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 there were there were, 50, there were 50 faculty members in the philosophy
1: department there. Yeah. Wow, that's a busy turnpike at the time the joke was though that that
2: the only place with more faculty in philosophy was moscow state
5: <laughs> <laughs> was like... so so a question for you guys was uh, was marshall mcluhan teaching there at that time uh, well the, the the institute was there I yeah i think he had
4: died no 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 was Ma- mcluhan around? was still around but he was retired did you ever uh-huh. see him uh-huh. Um, I never, I never met him in person. Usually I,
2: met everybody. I, used, I met everybody. He knew like Glenn, uh,
4: Glenn Gould, Glen Gould, and oh yeah, man, like wow. I used okay. to run into him on the subway to, periodically. I used but. to, I used to eat uh, at France in the middle of the night sometimes. With so Glenn he'd Golden. be there. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah McLuhan was gone, was not there. But it's, I got to tell you what, Chris is like. Those people had awesome parties because they were really, <laughs> really were really, really, really <laughs> I don't doubt it. (laughs) Yeah. One of the the things that we did as graduate students is you tried to get gigs uh, tending bar at, like, the book releases and stuff.
1: Yeah. Oh, there you go.
2: Now, the tips weren't great, but then you could raid the the bar later. Right.
4: (laughs) That (laughs) was about it, you know. Yeah, and the cold good. cuts were just awesome. Ooh. They were really good. Yeah. Well, that's it's pretty much a, a, back the, then the, the, everything. The cold the
5: cold was, cuts are the message. Yeah, back <laughs> yeah. then everything
1: was better in Canada, anyways. Oh, and t- yeah. Toronto, hot especially media so cold cuts. Yes. Yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah. <laughs> this needs to go in the merch, the merch division for
1: keep your hat on. Oh, sure. <laughs> we're building <laughs> up the media merch cold machine. Cuts. Yeah. Right? Well, I
5: love me it. Either. bumper sticker.
1: Well, that's good. One of the things that I'm interested in. Where where do you guys – where have you guys intersected over the years as far as your your collegiate paths go, as far as your academic paths go?
4: Well, I mean, we were both we, – we both were in this sort of same track in studies in graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: we both did Hegel. We, we well, both, we were both I
4: was going to bring up the H word in a minute. And but. Um, we had uh, – I mean, uh, Mark was sent up to um, – Toronto, by um, his professor at um, University of South Alabama. Yeah, Bob Perkins. Bob Perkins. And I was sent up to Toronto by my professor, Dale, who was Louis Dupre.
2: Louis sent you to Toronto.
4: Louis sent me that. to Toronto. Louis said, "Go to Toronto." And I said, uh, "Well, there's this offer from here." And he said, "Yeah, you've had my classes. Go to Toronto." We're
1: and actually <laughs> moon dropping like crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling so, the energy.
4: But the reason that we were both <laughs> we were both sent to Toronto was that there were there were faculty that oh, yeah uh, both Louis and um, and Bob knew really well who would take care of us. Right. Uh, so it was, <laughs> yeah. Basically, it was sort of like you know, okay. Uh, you kids, if you're not going to end up in, just just end up in juvie or jail, because um, you're a little happened. too old for juvie,
6: yeah.
4: uh, you need to be under the care of these people in Canada, which is in any way a much more mellow place, and you're likely to get into less trouble.
1: Yeah, Peterson tried to do that with me and Marquette, and that ended well. Um, uh, so. At the time. Yeah, well, it was the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they
2: were still. There. Yeah. They had a great department then too. They
1: had a great but department. I was right. not. I no, was not prepared right. for their greatness. That's what the issue was. I'm and, and sure that's right. The and, real, but I should
2: share you is that is that none of this actually matters to Hugh and I. What really matters was at some point during some TA meeting when we were first thrown together, one of us said "shoes for industry."
6: <laughs> There's the
2: that's the secret Shoes password. The <laughs> and I think, it was I think, like. And I don't know if you guys do this, but it's like Andy does this. I yeah, mean, no,
1: that's how we first kind She's of no ID'd friends. each other as well, was Shoes yeah. for Industry.
2: Yeah, see, Andy Andy heard this too, but I don't know if you other guys do this. It's like, you know, the Firesign Theater cult. <laughs> all of my best friends, all of the people who I still talk to were Firesign Theater addicts. <laughs> the
1: people I time. allowed to stay in my life must pass under this bar. <laughs> well, okay.
4: Now I'm gonna I'm gonna do some some more name dropping. Which oh, is that, oh, god! I used to sing in a choir with Phil Proctor. Ooh,
2: wow. <laughs> oh, Wow! wait, wait, Hugh. What choir?
4: The Yale Russian Chorus.
2: Yeah, fuck yes.
4: Ah, Remember the, ah, from ah. all the records Phil's the guy it. with the Russian. He does all the Russian, right? Well, that's how he. That's he was a, he was a, among other things a Russian major as an undergraduate. Yeah. And uh, and so that's 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 how I knew Phil, as I knew him, both from Fireside Theater. But also as a fellow second tenor.
1: Right on. Oh, you're second second tenor. Second tenor. Yeah. Tenors. Ah, there you go. I got I got relegated into the uh the wishy washy space of the baritones. Oh well, yeah. I hold it again. where well thank you thank you very race, much. But... So philosophy. I think we're the, old enough to finally not. Know
3: philosophy right. <laughs>
1: No, I, I have a legit philosophy question regarding to what's yeah, going on in this philosophy. day and age. I, I will accept mm-hmm. an illegitimate answer. So pertaining to Hegel, what the hell is going on with the whole uh, Jordan Peterson thing and certain elements, certain angry elements of the world kind of trying to co-opt? Hegelian approaches to oh, being then, right again, right?
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a this is a recent thing. Along by the way with critical theory, which is something that I also do. This right? re- yeah,
2: he really does that. So, more than else. you
4: know, uh yeah, it's just you know, um there's 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 these uh pseudo intellectuals over on the right who are always you know That's like they you know following in the t- the footsteps of Francis Fukuyama. Mm. Some of them are Straussians. Some of them are just drifters. Straussians. And, and I hate those guys. I hate those. Guys. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, uh, they um, they're always digging up stuff and and <sighs> and throwing it at the wall and seeing if it'll stick. You know? Right. So you get these people who are, um, you know, for instance, um, OK, AOC is left of center. Um, uh and, and so that means she's a socialist and socialism means communism uh, and communism means Marx uh, and Marx means Hegel. Must. Uh, because any further back than Hegel and you start getting into people that that they want to hang on to, you know, like Rousseau and Hobbes and Locke. So um, so um, so they just start taking names out of this and then they just go do a couple. They, they, they look up some. They don't even look up secondary texts they just look no up blogs. that's on wikipedia, wikipedia or blogs and, yeah and and you know uh you know websites where that are in all caps and uh and then and then they just and they just throw the stuff at a wall um i mean the, the whole business about you know, like 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 critical theory adorno Horkheimer, Horkheimer yeah Ademas, uh those yeah. people i mean clearly i mean they're a marxist school which is of course evil um <laughs> But then but then from there, you see, you take the word critical and you do another Google search and you get critical race theory. Uh, Uh, Yeah. Okay. Our friend. And then our fellow graduate student, Charles Mills, who's one of the founders of critical race theory, comes up and then and he's black. And he's got a funny accent because he's from Jamaica. Jamaica. Wow. A new target to to slag off on. No, I don't think that there's any philosophical substance to any of these uh, hot takes on on Hegel, on critical theory, on critical race theory.
2: Usually the the, the quickest way you can tell when somebody's bullshitting with Hegel is they say, well, Hegelian dialectic is this thesis, antithesis, synthesis thing.
4: And of and course no
2: we just have meltdowns about this cuz it's like no that was Fichte who was who was a a big wheel you know, about 10 years before Hegel and Schelling got together and started doing stuff in the early 1800s. So
5: so so not only is that a kindergarten level understanding of he- Hegel it's but it's, it's also incorrect it's yeah. not Hegel. No. That's hilarious. Don't be
2: are you paying attention in romper room? These right. are
5: the don't bes right? and, and, and actually, I shouldn't. I, I I should be nicer to kindergartners. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's
4: it's the Cliff Notes version, right? Yes, yes. You are. You are. As Mark Twain used to say, that saying that. Humankind was descended from monkeys was a base slur on the monkey race. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. I guess stuff. I guess it's my like flagging off kindergartners unacceptably.
1: I guess my the kernel of my question though is why is it always the German school that gets trotted out?
2: You know, oh yeah, um, I, but, so we, we can German means difficult. We, that was, that's
1: where I was going to go. Yeah.
2: The the other thing this I saw this um, it even came through little old West Bend. Hugh was at Loyola, so it's like in a real place. But you know I was out in the country, but even out there. Um, uh, we had these about, this was about three or four years ago where, uh, the Frankfurt school as a name sort of started to show up in the right wing media. Right. Yeah. And it's like, are, you know, it's like he does those guys all the time. And it's like, if, if you don't read Hegel pretty much as well as we do, reading the Frankfurt school is, is brutal. That yeah. critical yeah. theory stuff can be really tough. Well, <clears throat> it just showed up. So, but it was what he said is the real reason is like, it's so incomprehensible yeah that you can get away with saying essentially anything so long as you use the jargon. Yeah. And nobody can tell if you're right or wrong.
5: Yeah, the it's, it's, of course, the, it's, uh, the, it's the, the, the Scrabble it's, yeah, theory it's, of argument.
1: Well, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Shapiro's better. I was going to say it's the Scrabble version of philosophy. By the way, nothing gives
4: me more joy than memes which drag Ben Shapiro, I'm here to say. <laughs> I am here for those. There are a few of them. Uh, and there's millions yeah. of them. I mean, he just... This guy owns himself every single day, and the memes are just are, are precious. It, it, the other thing about German culture, of course, is that contemporary German culture is, uh, on the right in the United States, a synonym for decadence. Right. right? Mm. And, it's, and it has been for a long time. I mean, think of the you know, the, the spoofs of, of Kraftwerk right. and, uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, and Sprockets on the old uh, uh, Saturday Night Live. You know, we will now dance.
5: That was still, uh, Dieter's Dance Party. Yes,
4: <laughs> Michael Myers at his absolute is best synonymous with, with with decadence and, you know, Marxism and all sorts of things. So, yeah, I mean, it's easy to go to town on the Germans. And yeah. that's the, uh,
1: it's the, it's the old joke. That's the old joke. Uh, to make sure to tell people you love them, but shout it uh, at them in German because life yes. is insufferable. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm sort of curious in this conversation, you know. Uh, that that they that they find their way to the Germans and that that seems to be a rich fountain of material for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where does Nietzsche fall into all of this? And and are they avoiding him because he's kind of the third rail? Well, wait, wait no, no, hang on.
4: Um, we we skipped over a spot which is that it used to be the French,
5: right? We, mm-hmm. <laughs> right Rousseau, Voltaire, yeah, and, and, yeah. right? You know. Right, yeah. you
4: know um, you got you got all these people slagging off French deconstruction as you know they, Foucault yourself, man. Yeah, go Foucault. Uh, I
5: love. I, I, <laughs> I, I see. And I and love and the postmodern know, French and philosophers.
4: And I'm, so so. You know, I'm I'm kind of glad that they've left the French alone for a while. Uh, they'll mm-hmm. go back to the French for sure eventually. Um, and nobody nobody attacks the Italians because the food is so great. Right, um, but. Um, and believe me,
1: there are some Italians
4: that rank right up there. If you really want to get angry at people over their political philosophy.
1: That's how I measure who I read next is yeah. how, how pissed off <laughs> I want to be by the ideas presented.
2: Why else would you? The only way you went, he spent a year or two or so in Rome, right? At the Romans, at the Rome uh, Center for Loyola. And it's like the only reason he went there was the food. Right. <laughs> Oh, you okay. were you were Catholic at one point. I remember that.
4: Well, I I am I am I am, um, I am what uh, I like to refer to myself as uh, Catholic Malgré Louis. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, seriously, I, I there's I have a colleague there who it. wrote a wonderful wonderful book. Uh, Mario Perniola wrote a wonderful wonderful book, which I'm in the middle of translating into English called um, Feeling Catholic, Del Sentire Cattolico. Oh, and the opening chapter is, Perché non, non posso non uh, chiamarmi uh, cattolico? Why I can't not call myself Catholic? Oh. Ah. And he wasn't a religious person, but he considered himself mm. ca- in terms of sensibility above all, aesthetic mm, sensibility. Right. This is a cultural Catholic. Catholic. Well, not quite. I mm. mean, a cultural Catholic is somebody who... Um, you know, really likes to have churches around. Um, kind of likes the idea that at least some people go to church so that they don't commit crimes. Um, okay. You know, uh, thinks that uh, the Catholic Church is a stabilizing in you know influence in culture, apart from all of the sodomized altar boys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, those sorts of things. That's a cultural Catholic. But an aesthetic Catholic is a person who, whose aesthetic sensibilities are attuned to Catholic uh, uh,
1: symbology, iconography, um, uh, ritual. architecture, yeah, the
4: Catholic imaginary architecture, right. and stuff like that. And and boy, howdy, Italians are really that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, you, it's, in, it's impossible to escape. Mm. Yeah. But you were asking a question about Nietzsche, why people don't go back to Nietzsche. Oh, yeah. Well, they ha- Jordan Peterson jumped, right? Oh, Jordan right? Peterson,
2: yeah. And the problem is, is that they, they do go back to Nietzsche, and Nietzsche is actually really hard to understand, unless right. you read, you have to read Nietzsche very carefully, because he's incoherent in all right. sorts of ways. <laughs> and, and yeah. him, you know, he went crazy by, the, by 1889, right? But mm. um, he was all over the map. He wasn't a philosopher, he's a philologist, right? Yeah. He was interested in word origins, and that that marched a lot of the rest of his work
4: along. And so he's really easy to cherry pick from. But The other thing is mm. that he's got so many passages in his works where he slags off just the very people who are trying to do with him. What oh, they're right. That
2: part is like if Jordan Peterson actually read him carefully, he'd have to kill you know, himself. That's right. It's, another, know, right. it's one of those it's cases like of
4: running with scissors, you
1: know. You know?
4: <laughs> you know, there's a wonderful letter that he wrote to Franz Overbeck, his theologian friend, just before he went mad saying, on a postcard, just saying, Dear friends, I am just now having all of the anti-Semites shot.
1: Yeah. Yours truly, Friedrich. <laughs> yeah. Um, kinda hard to kinda hard to, to hmm. wrap that in candy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, there we go. We got one out. So well, I tell you what, everybody, we're gonna take a quick break from this deep dive into Plato's Cave, and we will be right back on the Narrowband Broadcast Network. I'm Andrew Scott, that is Chris Vicano. That is Robert Anthony, that is Dr. Mark Peterson, and that is Dr. Hugh Miller-Emeritus, and uh, God knows we don't know where the hell we're going to wind up, so stick around. We'll be right That's back. Ty, come up with something to say. We've, we've, <laughs> we've, we've, we've elbowed you out of this so far now. He's been laughing. I mean, you
0: know. We'll be right back. Really.
1: Hey everybody, Andrew Scott here from the Keep Your Hat On podcast. I just wanted to take a minute to say thanks for listening, and to make sure that you know that there's a video version of our show over on YouTube. Not only do you get to see our lovely faces, and yeah, that's lovely in air quotes, but you also get a look at what we're talking about, and there's slightly different content over there. I mean, like, whole different segments, bonus bits, and other stuff that, well... Let's just say that it's funnier in your eyes than it may be in your ears. So head on over to the YouTube channel at the link provided in your podcast listening app, click subscribe, and hit that little bell to be notified when new video content goes live. We'll see you there. Well, no, you'll see us there, but you get it. And remember, keep your hat on. We may end up miles from here. Thanks. Now let's get back to the show. And we're back on Keep Your Hat On, the special edition Plato's Cave Search and Rescue.
0: Plato's Cave Search and
1: Rescue. I'm Andrew Scott, along with Dr. Mark C.E. Peterson, who is currently down in Skokie, Illinois, visiting his good friend, Dr. Hugh Miller, and along for the ride, and kind of being dragged behind like a cowboy who fell off and is being dragged by a stirrup is robert anthony and our good friend chris vacano and um right now we're kind of talking religion which is weird for us but hey we're about weird and ty what did you what did you have that you wanted to bring into the mix here well
3: i just wanted to, you know it's it's not a new question and some, 30, some would say
1: it's one of the oldest questions.
3: It, it could be one of the oldest questions. And the question that I want to talk about is, when does a philosophy become religion? What's the difference between philosophy and religion?
4: It went the other way, didn't it,
2: historically? Yeah, wouldn't you think? I think philosophy comes after religion. Yeah. Yeah, people had religions before there was philosophy. And In then, fact,
4: you could probably say that you can't do philosophy until you had some religion first. Possible. And it's we're not going right? to do that whole.
1: D- d- we're not going to do that whole bifurcation of splitting spirituality away from religion.
4: And that's a very recent thing. The, whole, yeah. the, 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 the jargon of spirituality yeah. is something that. That Adorno would have would have hated. Yeah, Um, but but it's very recent, you know. Yeah, it's Um, it's very
1: wishy washy. It's well,
4: it doesn't have to
1: be, but it
4: it is. I mean, you know, um, you could say that Zen Buddhism is is a form of spirituality, but Mm -hmm. as a practitioner of Zen, you would be sitting here going.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and full full disclosure, Robert and I are both part of uh, a couple different Zen sanghas and have been have been doing the Zen thing for I what about twenty years for me. Yeah. Um,
3: and that's where this question comes from is mm-hmm. it's a question is, from the cushion
1: as we used to say yeah
3: yeah is is something like buddhism a philosophy or a religion oh dear yeah. so i'll go first um you can jump in
2: um so uh i i i've just gone back since i can't make any sense of this question much anymore so what I've done is I've just gone back to what the words originally meant, right? Which was religion is anything that sort of links you back to whatever you th- consider to be the ground of your existence. Yep. So this sounds unbelievably broad, but once you start applying it, it makes a lot of sense of things, right? Yeah. And so having said that, so, in, in, so when I when I look at like uh, anything that's practiced over time seems to become religious because it's linking you up with something that's the ground of your existence, whether it's a cushion on the ground, like literally, Right. Or, uh, you know, some other, whatever else it is, right? Uh, a flying spaghetti monster, for instance.
1: Amen. Mm-hmm. Ramen. Yeah. Sorry. I blew yeah, I, I blew that. You served it up to me on a platter. Where are I the colander? That's yeah. all I'm That's saying. the yeah, colander's calendar. in the other room. Sorry, you're right.
2: Um, so, but um, having said this now, what's what is interesting is in philosophy, and this is like our analytic brothers and sisters who is not, there you go, who is not us. Um, I have a colleague who does philosophy of religion, Um Went to Madison. Oh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, who will insist that uh, that uh, Buddhism is not a religion because it doesn't have a transcendent God, and that that's the basis for religion? And of course, now if you do that, that means that essentially Judaism, Islam, Christianity, most of Hinduism, and right, of Hinduism, and the Zoroastrians, I guess, and the Bahais aren't religions. You know, it gets complicated at that. All of the ancient, yeah, uh, all the old ones are Roman
1: religions. If uh, you got a deity, if, 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 if you include a deity.
5: Now, the word the key word here is transcendent. transcendent. It's transcendent. Yeah, yeah it's transcendent it, it, versus imminent. Yes. Right. And, and even
2: Hinduism gets tricky here because in Hinduism, the deities are imminent and transcendent, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you couldn't talk to them when you're driving your chariot out on places, mm-hmm. right? Which Arjuna does, right? In Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, so right, right. That's Gita. that's
5: where it all started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can't
2: really do that if 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 that's if that's your definition. So it but the the real way to answer this, uh Rob's question is to start by what the words mean. because... If you go around the room, different people will urgently want them to mean different things. I can't even get an answer to this. So this will annoy my friends in religious studies. I've been hanging out with a lot of those people the last, the last 20 years. Um, I can't get a straight answer from them about what a religion is. And what they do is they take refuge in this idea of, well, there's a family resemblance of behaviors, which could give us an idea about what religions might, how you might define them. Oh,
3: that's really specific
2: yeah <laughs> that's what i said that's a so, nice wide saying, paintbrush yeah
3: it's like that so. might
2: be there might not be a bad way to describe it operationally right but it's like i still can't pin them down on stuff like okay so if there are like uh if there are like uh, uh spiritual exercises which create psychological states which are different from our normal daily psychological states does that count right so, I mean, because in, in Zen Buddhism you get those, right? You get special okay. effects and stuff. Even in Tai
5: Chi, even in Karate,
2: you get special effects, right? Right.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm missing this, but but it seems like that definition would allow for, you know, like being uh, being fans of Iron Maiden is a religion,
4: or or, um, argue, or if you're a really dedicated and devoted. Um, it's a lifestyle. Person, uh, who, who goes to Graceland every year, uh, hoping right? to. Uh, to start the religion of Elvis.
2: Okay, so h- since you've said this, let me give me let me uh, you've triggered the memory that made me start to take that idea seriously, Chris, because you could you know you could go if it's just whatever links you back, then it just goes you can go crazy with this. But so yeah. here's what happened. Andy will get a kick out of this. Well, you've been there. Um, my first year in in West Bend, which is an hour north of Milwaukee, up in the Kettle Moraine, I went to uh fleet farm, and <laughs> It's impossible to describe to people from other cultures what Fleet Farm is. It's it's a I took Hugh came up once and we walked in and there's like a wall of nothing but manure scrapers. Yeah. yeah.
1: And he it's a magical it place. It. And it smells um, of beautiful
2: rubber smells, tires. It, yeah. it, it it's, it's just, just it, that. Oh man. Um, Canadian Tire in Canada kind of takes the, yeah. the, zip, the 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 vibe. Well, anyway, so I am but I'm in Fleet and I don't remember what I was in there for because this is the only thing that, that happened that mattered. I'm walking behind this young couple, like like young with a baby, right? And they have the babies in the cart. And, um, oh, he's probably 19 or 20 and she's 17 or 18. It was like really young. And I could tell by his hands, I saw his hands before I noticed anything else, that they were really beat up. Yeah, so he like, belonged there. The yeah, He's in the trades or he's doing manufacturing and mm-hmm. stuff. And they're taking care of their baby. And it was they were really adorable. But then what I, I, I noticed was they were wearing these Packer jackets, right? Green Bay Packers. Because in Wisconsin, fellas, just saying. She's had some. Um, but there's different qualities of Packer jackets. And again, Andy can chime in on yes, this Yes, there are and the, so i looked and it's like oh wasn't a nicer wind packer jackets I'm, I'm living in wisconsin now i had that little moment but then i started to pay attention to the details these packer jackets were the the total upscale premium versions with the pipe stitching yeah. leather beautifully tailored right these jackets are a, like a 1000 to pop yeah
4: oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. so
2: and it's like they're brilliantly they're brilliantly expensive and i'm thinking holy shit these guys paid this guy's obviously, like, you know, working, you know, if he's lucky, he's a union guy, in, yeah. uh, you know, working under contract in, in Carpenter or something. But odds are I didn't think so. They look like they lived in a trailer someplace, right? Yeah.
1: But they and, probably bought them at the Packer Hall of Fame yeah, when probably. they went on. They went to Lambo Exactly. On the, on the pilgrimage to yeah, on the pilgrimage, exactly it's gonna right. It's better.
2: Now, this would normally just be an op, you know, an observation about crazed fans, right? The baby who looked to be less than one year old was also wearing this quality of leather so... jacket. Wow. And this, and you what go, and it was, it was actually literally stopped in the aisle, in the paint aisle, and just was overwhelmed by the thought of this. That baby's going to grow out of that jacket like in about six months. But so. It occurred Grandma to me. Grandma
4: and it, grandpa bought that jacket.
2: Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's how it worked. Yeah. But it occurred to me. That's theirs. <laughs> so that's a long way around here, Chris. But that was the sort of the triggers. That was like the you know the universe just threw this into my face and went, hey, isn't this interesting? And it was like, it occurred to me that maybe this isn't too far off. Because if you think about what would be invested for a young couple like that, raising a family, to spend that kind of dough exactly. on a Jack these weren't even like winter jackets, these were like November level jackets. These are not these are not the parkas. You know, you couldn't wear these at Lambeau in January, man. No.
6: Mm-hmm. No.
2: But for them to spend that money on that, how could that not be a religious conviction? Anyway, that well,
1: was my that was my inference. That's yeah, and I'm that's interesting interested. because if you think about, and I think this really does tie in interestingly to sports fandom as well, that there's so much shared iconography between what we think of classical religion and the elevation of sports sports teams sports brands i mean you know we whenever they televise a packer game you will Mm -hmm. see saint vince in the audience out you know and he he's got he's got his his pilot hat on and 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 the whole thing and uh it, it, the the elevation of sports i think has become something of a a replacement for religion or oh, yeah. a i don't want to say religion light because there's as you were just illustrating there's really nothing know. light about it
2: um, uh, i had a friend years ago in architecture uh this probably maybe I've been in graduate school who pointed out that you can tell a lot about a society if you look at the biggest things they build
6: yeah Mm-hmm.
2: And there, there's a couple of of massive building projects. If you go back about three thousand years, there were the pyramids. Oh, there's those things! The Great Wall of China. Yeah. But these these pale into insignificance behind the building of cathedrals in Europe during the late Middle Ages. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and now it's like this. This is a question I was asking classes: What's the largest thing big humans ever built? Do you guys actually know?
1: Um, I I think it's not the great wall that's a no misconception. it's so obvious you won't notice it uh well all right i'm game the interstate highway system i was oh gonna say, uh, sure. you're was right
2: gonna yeah. but after that it's like if you go back to the 30s they were the movie palaces right yeah you remember this, mm-hmm. right and you look at those places you know it's like they look like they're and of course you
4: know why the and- interstate highway system was built
1: well it was, to scare the Russians? Yeah. Yeah, to
4: move missiles to move missiles around. Exactly.
1: Thank yeah. yeah. We gotta thank Ike for for the, yeah. the greatest building well, project and, ever, even though it's dissolving like and, tissue and, paper and, now.
5: And, <laughs> and, and and to your point, Mark, uh, you know, you look around today and and what are we building big? Big sports arenas, big yeah. big football fields, you know, soccer pitches, uh mansions, McMansions. Know, McMansions. So, yeah.
3: We could say that surfing is is a religion.
1: Right? Oh, I would say surfing is absolutely a religion. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, one of oh, my it, it one has there. the trappings
5: well, of it. Yeah,
3: going back, going back to uh, which you know, I, at the beginning of the conversation, I heard um, you needed to have religion to have philosophy.
4: Mm, and um, as we historically, you you you, you kind of got to have the religion first before philosophy can kick off. Once philosophy is kicked off, then you get into a kind of polemical relationship between the two, mm-hmm. where um, you know the philosophers think up all this stuff, and the theologians go, oh, this is awesome, we can use that, and the philosophers go, wait a minute, and the theologians go, what do you mean, wait a minute? Um, here's some uh, wood and a, a uh, fire, uh, and uh, and 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 there are your books, and then there's you, uh, and the philosophers go, wait, wait, we were, you know, we're just kidding. Uh, we'll join, we'll 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 become priests, and oh. uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, uh, we mentioned uh, Nietzsche a while ago. Nietzsche has a quote in one <laughs> of his letters that, that he wrote. I, I don't think it was to Franz Overbeck, I mean, somebody else, to the effect that theologians are like dogs who'll eat scraps from any table.
1: Yeah. You <laughs> know,
4: um, and um, and so there's this constant I mean, like forth between philosophy and religion, uh, which is, and, and no matter how much one partner or the other wants to be shut of the other, uh, it's, it's, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> Uh, There's, you know, doctor religion that is of use to philosophy and vice versa. Where where were you going with the surfing stuff, though? Yeah.
3: uh, Well, uh, the surfing stuff was, um, when does... uh, uh, So I get indoctrinated into a surf culture, right? When does... uh, Which has a philosophy. Mm -hmm. It it may have come before or after that thing that grounds us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when does... When does that philosophy, that indoctrination into culture, um, become my religion?
1: Well, and I think we should probably is throw it? onto this pile here too. Is that is there a difference between a philosophy and an ethos?
4: Oh, that is. Yeah, there is. I mean, it, you can you can you can express and think of a philosophy in purely theoretical terms without thinking of the ethos of the person who's doing it. Mm-hmm. But in again, in point of historical fact, sort of concrete, actually existing doing of philosophy. Right. People who do it generally have a certain ethos, or at least uh, belong to a certain family of ethoi that yeah. uh, that are, that resemble one another. Uh, you know, you, you respect, uh, you know, uh, certain forms of, of rational discourse. Uh, you don't slag other people off for irrational reasons. Uh, you listen carefully to other people's arguments. You try to come up, you try to, you know, use the principle of charity to make sure that you, if you're going to attack someone, you attack them on their point of strength rather than, you know, a straw man. Uh, these are all things that there is a certain ethos to the actual lived practice of philosophy. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the
2: way one of the ways we can get at this is, with I like your, I think your question's right at it, uh, Rob. It's like, what happens, of course, in most religions, if you go back, is like, people have these experiences that they're not able to account for out of right. their normal lives, right. right? And so it's like, you know, you guys you guys have been doing Zen long enough, and I don't know, I assume the practice is, is similar in Zen as it is in other parts of Buddhism, is... When you get people who have their first bits of special effects yeah one of the senior members has to whack a doodle them pretty hard to get their heads back on
1: yeah just sit, simmer down simmer down simmer down now and and i think that the, the answer
2: to this uh uh rob because it's like i have the same experience with tai chi and qigong right
6: mm-hmm.
2: um is that what you do after you have these experiences is you try to make sense of them okay and and I think in a weird way, philosophy is the attempt to bring these things into thought and stack them up in a way that makes sense of them.
1: Just to,
4: to jump in there uh, and and maybe stick in, if you don't mind my doing so, Andrew, a Please. For another podcast.
1: Uh, You're welcome Hotel back S- any time, S- Dr. Miller. We'll put a I link put down below. Yeah, we will put a link down below. Oh, as we we said. A great, it's called
4: Hotel Bar Sessions. Hotel Bar Sessions. I strongly recommend. It's the three colleagues at other universities who... The 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 fiction of the title is that they're meeting together at the end of a long day at a philosophy conference and they're all sitting around in the hotel bar. So it is literally it it is
1: literally three philosophers walk into a bar. Yeah, Yeah. okay. I'm all about that. They
4: specify their drinks and then they talk about the paper they just listened to. My favorite recently was one that um, one of them said the title of this uh, of the the paper I listened to was the eternal return of the same colon the eternal return of the same. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, they just they, they just did a podcast on philosophy and oh. detective novels.
1: Oh, right on. Okay. there's yeah. oh. there's a, and, there's, and a hell of, there's quite a nexus there. Yeah. To, oh, that's to pretty good.
4: Detective novels, and it worked brilliantly. Yeah. I mean, you know, or magic. You know, um, right? If you've ever seen the movie The Prestige.
1: Yes. Know, oh the, yeah. The, right. The, right. The, mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Oh, the thumb trick. Dude. Trotted out really the thumb really trick.
4: You know the uh, what. The, uh, the, you know, the three components we... the third, the, the big spectacular one is the prestige. Right. You know, there's a certain amount of wonder that's involved in well-executed ah. magic. Right. Which is, of course, the birth wonder is, of course, the supposedly the birthplace of the philosophical spirit, the philosophical elan.
2: Famous yeah. opening uh, line from Aristotle. Yeah. That all philosophy begins in
4: wonder. Thaumazia. Yep. yep. And Thauma literally means... Yeah, to gobsmacking <laughs> right yeah right. what the right. hell is this yeah you know um, to, to
5: to circle back to that original point for just a moment um the you know which came first the philosophy or the religion yeah <laughs> um you know it strikes me I, I, I you know historically i've i've sort of embraced the line of thinking that that philosophy came first and then religion followed on but you you really got me thinking now, in terms of well, without religion, the entire field of epistemology doesn't exist. And from there, Literally. ethics falls apart. yeah it's and and so good. it is all stacked <laughs> on foundations of yeah, go back both. a long, long time. yeah, well, and I, mean, all- I, I really
4: I really become a, a, a thoroughgoing historicist over the years. Mm. I don't think that you can really understand what's going on in philosophy in some abstract sense. Mm-hmm. No, it's got to be uh, a practical. you really have science. to understand the history of it.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, for me, it always kind of, it always kind of loops back to, um, and this is, this is the ultimate chicken and egg is at some point in in our past, whether it be, uh, Homo sapiens or Neanderthal or or, somebody asked the first question, somebody asked why and why gave birth to both. it, It was the original egg. And out of that came this double-headed monster okay. that is both philosophy yeah. and religion, because they're yeah. both attempting to both quantify
5: and qualify the same thing. Why? Why? Did, actually, and, I would, I would, I would say three-headed monster: <laughs> philosophy, religion, and science. Oh, yeah, no, manage. you're right. Oh, wait,
3: wait, wait. Was it religion and science at one point, just kind of
1: together? Oh, we're going to go natural philosophy now. Is that it? Gonna, oh, dear. I mean, which is which is <laughs> fine because it's totally a legitimate point? question. Yeah. Uh, so
2: this this triggered a memory. It was like uh, one of our professors we had was this Emil Fackenheim who had a good joke for everything. And he was telling about
3: <laughs> –
2: you, you need to put a picture of Fackenheim up here. Fackenheim, if – I always tell my students that – if Santa Claus were thinner and a rabbi, he'd be he'd be Fackenheim. He'd be Fackenheim. Oh yeah, oh this guy. Well, anyway, so yeah. Fackenheim. Was, we, we, we somebody asked this question once during class. It was pretty much what you just asked now. It's like, you know, is it is it what's the what's the order here? Is it like uh, science, religion? What are these? What are these like? And they were asking Fackenheim earnestly to try to get an answer. And Fack says, you know, I remember once about 30 years ago. So this has been like in the 40s or 50s. When you had to matriculate out of Trinity College at the University of Toronto, they had these final examinations, which were oral. And you would show up, and the whole college would show up and watch you, and the faculty oh, would sit up at the eye table. This is, this is badass.
3: Uh-huh. No pressure.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's intense.
4: It's like, it's like, like your defense area. before well, your defense. Did you have an oral defense for your, for your area exam?
2: Oh yes, we I got. Did. I got. Oh, for the early exam, but it wasn't public. And then we had the dissertation defense. Yeah, but it wasn't public. Well, it could be anyone could come I in I guess that's true. No, it
4: did because who wants to go to a philosophy dissertation? God, I got, I
2: got. dragged through the, the cactus for four hours. <laughs> yeah, me <laughs> too. All right. <laughs> anyway, sorry about this. We're, now we're comparing scars. Okay, that's fine. So Fackenheim says so. There anyway, but they're having this this uh this final exam at Trinity College. <laughs> where the whole college is, is gathered to watch the spectacle. <laughs> So uh, there was this one particular evil SOB, famously mean-spirited old Professor Schmidt, or something like that, uh, who always asked the most vicious questions possible. And this one kid who was in philosophy finally gets up, and he goes up, and he draws Schmidt for the question. And uh, Schmidt says, it's very nice to see you, Mr. Brown. I only have one question for you. Idealism. And the kid just freezes. Yeah. 30 seconds of complete terrified dead air and he says well, that's a really big question professor
1: and the professor goes Past
6: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's a, that's about the best you could do uh Pass. on your public evisceration to at least just dodge it yep
2: usually you beat them up a little bit first <laughs> <of it. laughs> But anyway, uh, th- th- these are really difficult questions, and you know, Hugh went to math instead of science. Um, so historically, Chris, science comes out of philosophy in yeah. the West.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and
2: interestingly, in science, the is,
1: East, it's the other the great great way around. Word
4: of science is episteme.
1: Yeah. Uh, like
2: the
4: great yeah.
1: Comes yeah. Out, right. Mm-hmm.
2: And so that's the thing. But but he went to mathematics because the real war here for us is whether uh, math or philosophy
4: comes first. And we always want to say
2: it's philosophy, but Plato was a Pythagorean,
4: right? And that's a place that's, by the way, going on right now in French philosophy. Uh, mm-hmm. People like Quentin Mayassu, uh Badiou, and various other people are, are, are duking that out right now. Really?
3: Yeah. Por qué? Why? Hmm.
4: Well, I mean, think about it. You um, <laughs> know, nature appears to, to be mathematizable or at least it seems to operate according to certain symmetries and laws, which can be adequately and precisely formulated by mathematics. But you're talking about Uh logically prior.
2: Okay, I see. And how
4: come, if mathematics is a um, mental construct by a particular species on a particular planet, in a particular spiral arm of the galaxy, how is it that something like that, could somehow be uh, ontologically foundation.
1: Where's my towel? Right. Uh, yeah. That was yesterday. <laughs> right. That was yesterday. Dip that the, in some soup real quick. <laughs> well, that and that th- that drags yeah. us into that whole argument of the holes in mathematics that they've been discovering now for the last hundred years, and the irreconcilable nature of certain set theory uh and we won't go there because uh i am so out of my depth with that except to say oh. i watched i watch documentaries like that at night to help me fall asleep and i've never had worse sleep in my life than that shit <laughs> no, in my ears i
4: have a fight between and no no mm. it's dull as dirt uh and <laughs> that's why uh, i listen to, to it when yeah, i'm trying to sleep mathematics which is a A a, a acquired taste, to say the least. Uh, Yeah, Uh, and a bitter pill,
2: too. You should put in Tom Lehrer's song, Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky.
1: Who made me the genius I am today? The mathematician that others all quote. Who's the professor that made me that way? The greatest that ever got chalk on his coat. One man deserves the credit, one man deserves the blame.
4: And Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky is his name. Nikolai Ivanovich
1: Lobachev, I am never forget the day I first meet the great Lobachevsky, in one word he told me the secret of success in mathematics, plagiarize, plagiarize, let no one else's work evade your eyes, remember why the good Lord made your eyes, so don't shade your eyes, but
4: plagiarize, 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 only be sure always to call it please,
1: Research. Very good. You, find, research. You, you were able to bring a Tom Lehrer no, reference from the last episode into on this please, one. Research. research. <laughs> uh,
2: Lobachevsky was one of the first guys to raise questions with Euclid's parallel postulate to find the holes in that particular set of theories. It was Lobachevsky and Ryman were the two guys who uh, raised questions about that. That. Made us wonder about it. Made Einstein possible, actually. Afterwards. Yes, yeah. yeah,
1: if you think about it, and I'm gonna think about it, uh, and still feel <laughs> as dumb as I did when I entered in here. And we are gonna take a quick break. Uh, by the way, none of us were under any illusion that we were actually going to answer the question that Robert brought. Um, Robert, are you sa- are you satisfied? I got a,
3: I got a little bit I got a little bit of a. a I got more of a toe hold, more of a finger hold on it.
1: It's a very well, it's difficult Yeah, but you're still off. hanging ass backwards off well, of El Capitan. I, I still think that
4: uh, a friend of mine asked, what's the difference between science and philosophy? My answer was, science wants better answers, philosophy wants
1: better questions. <laughs> oh, that's how we're going to break. We're going to break like on that. that. This is the Narrowband Broadcast Network, and I'm you're watching here. Slash listening to the madness that is keep your hat on i'm andrew scott that's dr mark peterson that's dr hugh miller that's not dr robert anthony and that's definitely not dr chris vacano and we'll be right back after this message strap in it's only going to get weirder alexa Play the latest episode of Keep Your Hat On podcast on Amazon Music.
2: Here's Keep Your Hat On from Amazon Music.
1: So that's a thing you can do now. And we're back yet again on Keep Your Hat On, the show where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott, along with Chris Vacano, Robert Anthony, Dr. Mark Peterson, and our special guest, Dr. Hugh Miller, Emeritus Professor. What are you Emeritus Professor of officially? You are. I I was was for 31 years at Loyola Chicago. you You were slinging dirt with the best of them down <laughs> with, at, the at Loyola, with the jesuits with well, the jesuits i'm an interesting <laughs> nexus here in that i am a uh, member of the zen buddhist community with my buddy robert i am a former member of the cult of the jesuits with with chris and my catholic background They're and of everywhere. course i'm i'm a i'm, a, I'm a, a deadhead and a fan of jimmy buffett with with peterson so uh, I'm I'm the the bastard mutt of all things in this weird equation right now. But- my uncle David was was Jimmy Buffett's scoutmaster, by the way.
5: Oh right! Oh, wow. Okay. And well, and, 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 and I'm with you on the scout troop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what did do? I'm 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 with you on the deadhead bit. Yeah. Uh, all through college, all through college, my. My battle cry was "Eat, drink, and see Jerry." Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> and my, my one of one of the longest-pervading uh, demands that I have in my uh, in my declaration of what I want when I die is I go out with them playing Ripple. That's that's yeah. that's got to be there. But we're going to yeah. transition over into another little weird uh, corner of philosophy, I guess, um, and that's a question that we had kind of brought up on an earlier episode and uh who who wants to take this robert or chris Uh, all right go for it robert
3: so you know and and since we brought it up uh i kind of looked at um how this is playing in my life
1: and so go with what you go with what you know
3: we yeah we got a new couch in the living room different shape which called for a different table uh, which is going to call for uh, another piece of furniture, which is going to call for a new TV, which is yeah. going to... So we're replacing things, and uh, uh comes back to that question. You're
4: upgrading things. Yeah, upgrades, upgrading, sure.
3: Yeah, upgrading, swapping out. That's, that's out,
1: out. how capitalism works. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the upgrades.
3: <laughs> well, whether it's a computer or a awesome. car or uh, uh, a motorcycle or a ship, if you're compa- if you're if you're replacing components one at a time mm. um, uh, uh, or it could be rats in a cage, right? If you take the one rat out of the cage and put a new rat in, right? when does it become a new thing? Does it become the new thing? When is the car no longer the same car you bought? When you change the VIN number?
1: Yeah, and this is this yeah, is I, this is I, I, drilling I like, down into the science of systems.
3: Yeah, and, yeah. and you know every like
4: to, every molecule
1: in your body has been replaced a number of times. I was going to go
3: there right. eventually. Right, yeah. I think it's like
1: every I've,
5: seven years,
1: something. There's seven various years, yeah. uh, various different uh, metrics for various different parts of your body. Yeah,
5: I'd, I'd I'd like to jump in here because I've been thinking a lot about this since we first talked about it on our production meeting, and uh really sort of exploring the mental, you know, kind of the black box of the question. Um, And where I think I come down is if you start with a strict definition, let's take a car, for example. Uh, When you drive it off the lot, it is a specific set of components that are combined to carry out a set of functions. So my line of thinking is when you change one of those components that is dedicated to one of those functions. So, uh, you know, not, not hanging an air freshener in the car or changing the seat covers because those are reversible changes and they don't apply to the function of the car. But mm-hmm. say you change a windshield wiper or you change a spark plug, you've taken that first bite of Costco's Apple and it's a, it's a different thing. <laughs>
1: And that doesn't even speak to the whole uh, phenomena of let's ruin the car by putting a spoiler on it unnecessarily. Because that's an, that's an addition to the original system. No, I,
5: and that was, that was an invitation to you, Mark, to jump in. <laughs> I'm just writing that down, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God,
1: Chris, have you fucking opened a can of worms? <laughs> Peterson's writing your shit down now. <laughs> nice Hold knowing you. Anyway. Yeah.
2: He'll be back. Yeah, we're, we're at its house. Yeah. So there's there's stuff going on upstairs. We'll be we'll uh, we'll bring him back in here. Right. 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 Um, yeah. The first bite of Costco's apple. There should be like that. Should be like a philosophical principle of some kind. We haven't figured out what though. The weird thing though here. So it's like we were talking about macro and micro a minute ago. It's like so. Okay. So let's. I don't know if we can refine this, but since every molecule in your body is changed over on its own, right? This is just how it works. Hmm. Um, cars are going to do that too, right? I mean, cars Mm -hmm. have molecules. Yeah, they'll do it at a slower
1: rate, but, you know. Much slower,
2: right? But in the meantime, it's like they're also transitional, right? And there is this kind of weird uh, uh, presupposition that that there are things that are essentially what they are and never change. Mm. But I'm not sure there's such a thing as that. Is there anything that doesn't change? Change?
3: Wow.
6: Wait, yeah,
3: that's 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 a good answer. (laughs) Let let
4: me me, me pull it again. Let me pull a little (laughs) historical thing on on you. I don't know that this question could even have been formulated, much less answered, Uh before the age of replaceable part technology, which is a modern thing, Mm -hmm. right? Industrial. Before the industrial era. I mean, think about, I mean, what was the first, does anybody know what the first device, the first technological instrument was in which replaceable part technology was used?
1: Wow, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, a, no, that's a deep rabbit hole, yeah.
5: Oh, it was guns. <laughs> firearms, yeah, it was, firearms. It, was, it was Smith and Wesson, no, right?
4: Yeah, it was, so, so the idea was that, you know, if you wanted to kill more indigenous people, uh, you wanted something where you could replace the parts when they broke rather rapidly. Before that, um, what, the, you know, what you had to do it was, I mean, every, basically every firearm was uniquely built. I mean, the barrel was forged. It was bored. The flintlock was 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 uh, cast in a sand mold, and then it was filed and for- and put in place. And if one of those things broke, you took the pieces back to the foundry, to a foundry, and they would make a mold and they would recast it and they would put it. And so, technological devices were objects of craft, mm. and nature was considered a craftsman. So there was an analogy between human craft and the craft of nature. Mm-hmm. and that was the sort of way of thinking of things that preceded our 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 age so the idea that that there would be a problem of identity where you had to swap out interchangeable parts would never have arisen prior to the industrial revolution and the development specifically of replaceable part technologies yeah but
3: what if we bring that down to the to the human what we were talking about biologically about how
4: but again you know, we cells. think of our bodies Oh, as, machinery m- as machinery now, okay, okay, which have replaceable component parts, yeah um you know uh, re- i mean think of that song by cake, you know, um rock on completely with a new set of components
5: right, right. Yeah. yeah, yep <laughs> you Although know I, I, it makes me think of one of my one of my favorite lines from one of my favorite movies, Mind Walk, which of course is based on the work of Fritch of Capra, which is uh not only does. A horse never entered the same river twice, but he's not the same horse. Right. Yeah.
4: Right. And the, so the idea that, that you would be a an entity in some kind of state of flux and indeed of of, be, of being crafted by the divine craftsperson was the way that people thought, you know, so there was not a problem with identity. As long as you were in the hands, the care, as long as you were the product of, of a certain kind of craft and craftsperson, that was your identity.
1: Well, and that that goes back to this this view that we held for so long, both in uh, in no small part in philosophy, but primarily in in uh, Renaissance uh, science, the idea of God as the master clockmaker and mm-hmm. everything you know, the clockwork universe, and the change <laughs> that that came along uh, going from a an Earth-centric model to a heliocentric model, and and all that. This idea that everything moves. Uh, in 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 clockwork fashion, which of course just completely got submarined with the, the advent of uh, of Galileo. special relativity and, oh, Galileo. And, Galileo. and and yeah, Galileo and and you know then Big come, at all. thank you for that. I think we're <laughs> sorry. I think sorry. we're no, I think we're clear on the rights. I think we're clear on the rights I'm with just, just one word. Away, nobody loves me. But. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh. a given.
4: But, you know. Uh, um, you know, it, it, I mean, the, the thing has really come to a head recently with, for first with, with, you know, transplantation of major, major organs like sure. hearts. yeah. Right, you remember the first uh, organ transplant by yeah. Uh the first heart transplant in South Africa. Remember, yeah. is this the same person if they have a different person's heartbeat beating yeah. them? Right. But nowadays, you know, at least in science fiction, we think about, and there's this... Russian, weird Russian doctor who's thinking of transplanting a head. Who's doing a head transplant. Yeah, Yeah, okay. Squink factor, yeah. Will it be the same person after the transplant? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, uh, suppose you could somehow upload yourself to uh, you know, to some... Uh, cloud, uh, would you? Would
1: you? Yeah, the whole Kurzweil model of I right. missed my dad, so I'm going to recreate my dad in right. a computer. By the way, that
4: and and the answer, one of the answers to that question <laughs> was presupposed by the the Arabic medieval philosophers, um, who asked the question, you know, what's the basis of the immortality of the soul?
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, you know, is does the soul die with the body? And of course, they said, no, no, it doesn't. But what precisely is the basis of this? Mm-hmm. And according, I think it was to Avicenna. I, might I would be say wrong. Avicenna. Uh, the idea is that um there's a part of the soul, the rational part of the soul, that has to be rational, activated right. by 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 rational activity.
1: Uh, the state of knowing. And,
4: and yeah that part of the soul is the one that survives. Of but course. Only if it's been activated rationally.
2: This means that
5: only philosophers survive. Well, of right? Well,
4: which is sad do, because yeah, that, they're the first
5: people I, I up against the leads- wall, too. So you know yeah, that, that leads counts. us to a to another really sort of interesting layer of it all, and an interesting question, which is, what in our physical form, what is the receptacle of the soul? Where does it reside?
2: Well, everybody knows it's the pineal gland, right?
1: <laughs> Third eye,
3: baby. I, I've read Lovecraft, right?
2: Uh, have you guys, by the way, just you just triggered this? Did you guys see the first season of Altered Carbon? On Netflix. I I dipped into it
1: and backed out, and I know that I have to go back.
2: The second season season lost me completely, but the first season, Uh, I thought, oh, this is going to be stupid fun. But no, it was really, it was a wickedly smart show. That first,
3: first season's really good. The second one, Mm, you kind of have to watch to start watching one right after the other to, st- yeah. to keep i'm'm I'm, on, I'm, on I'm on gonna stick it. my neck
5: out and say I love the second season, but the oh. first season was definitely the better of the two. I want to make this all more complicated, please, <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> which is our disposition. but
2: but um there's there sort of two famous uh, conversations uh, philosophically that this touches on, which has to do with personal identity, right? Yeah. And in the West, it's in David Hume. Where Hume walks through this question about whether we actually have personal identity or not, and this goes back to the question about what does it mean to have a soul and so right. on. Yeah, and Hume just sort of walks through it. If you, and and what he comes down with is like if you if if you go looking for yourself someplace,
6: mm.
2: you can't ever find it, right? Mm. Yeah, because it's like we just did it. This thing has changed over many times. I um, um, I'm back. I blew out a disc a couple of years ago, and I got back on the track here about three weeks ago, and on Friday. I overtrained horribly. Yeah. <laughs> so, Saturday, I learned all about being in my 60s. <laughs> <laughs>
3: really. well, anyway, thanks a lot for um, that
2: road sign. So, that's a concept yeah.
3: I can definitely wrap my head around. It's coming.
2: This thing is changing all the time, right? So, so you can't purse your, your personal identity isn't this thing, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is like you start to examine the, the contents of your consciousness, as you boys have spent some time doing. What you also notice is that. That there's no self in there either. That you can. There's no thought of a self that you no can. No nose. Yep. right. No discernible. Yeah. No, discernible. Yep. Yeah.
5: no right. eyes. So no ears. He, no nose. No tongue. No
2: now, what's what's interesting about that is that this is a 17th century. 17th century. You, yeah. 18th. 18th century. Yeah. 1700s. If you go back to the questions of King Melinda. Mm. In buddhism yep. nagasena in that uh set of questions gives this analysis uh, uh analogy of being a of a of a personal identity and a chariot yeah and he says <laughs> so like if you take when does a chariot stop being a chariot and so rob yeah. this is sort of a way to get at the question about replacement parts yeah so like if you just what if you just start taking stuff away from it when does it stop being a chariot if you take the wheels off is it still oh. a chariot you kind of go Sort of, you know, and if you take the horse away, it's like, it's sort of, and the question then is, at what point does it stop being a chariot when you take stuff away?
3: That's an interesting way to rephrase this. Yeah,
2: And And he was using this, Nagasena was using this uh, example to talk about identity, and of course, this is the Buddhist critique of Hinduism, is there not being an Atman,
1: right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the non-Atman. No Atman. Right? So
2: the interesting thing about this, too, is I had a colleague who was like, that was in that was in questions of King Melinda because we don't always do Asian, right? Right. And he goes, huh? So we got busy, and it looks as if uh, a bunch of Jesuits had just come back from India when Hume was in university. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that Hume might have heard this idea because they're almost parallel. I mean, it's like it's mm-hmm. it's totally parallel. Yeah. Hume might have actually gotten this idea from the Buddhists and
1: just plagiarized it. And just well, you know, borrowed it. Martin, well, I'm sorry, Martin. was, well, we'll ins- was inspired by <laughs> who's going to tell. Yeah, it's, yeah it's- because yeah. It, the idea of Atman Great obviously 19th. is 4,000 years old or so. Um, and, you know, that's something that, yeah, that people like Robert and I in our practice, um, you know, that's that's the tentpole. This idea that self <laughs> that a either a self perpetuating self or yeah. a a persevering self fighting against entropy is a thing. And, you know, it, yeah, it takes a bit of work. It's, it's not unslippery to try to get your hands around something like yeah, that. And that's why, yeah. you know, when, when we reach back to the initial discussion that we were having this idea about religion or not, um, you know, we don't in, in Buddhism. It's a, it's a, a pretty pervasive misconception that when you're bowing to a Buddha, you're bowing to an idol and, oh. you know, our, our, our tried and true answer is we're not, we're bowing to this, I, uh, this recognition of what I am that is eternal is bowing to that which is eternal as well. Um, and it's, it's more a recognition of, of self in lowercase. Um, but it, it. It does come back to still our question, which is going to happen in this show, that, yeah, when does the thing stop being the thing? Now, doesn't that really reach into phenomenology? Isn't that when we're when we're talking about the physicality of a thing uh, and taking it and making it be more concrete an idea? Um you know, I, I guess, and and it was interesting. I, I, I Dr. Miller, I, I appreciated your question, uh, talking about the the first device that had interchangeable or replaceable parts. Mm-hmm. Um, I would argue that something that came slightly before uh, is is a more interesting model to me, and that's movable type. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the, and the Gutenberg press, even though the Gutenberg press, wasn't the Gutenberg <laughs> press, he stole it from the Chinese. And, and we all mm-hmm. know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But the, this idea that, that something, and well, and it, it brings me to one of my favorite philosophers, who's not a philosopher. And, and that's Bruce Coburn, uh, the musician Bruce Coburn, because mm. still one of my all time favorite lines was, I woke up this morning thinking about entropy. Um, this, this, this idea that, you know, nothing all the way down to elemental hydrogen is, it it will change. It's going to change. Nothing stays the same. No system can survive time. And I, I guess it just brings us around to the fact that there probably is no answer for this as well, but all opinions are welcome.
2: I was thinking, you know, my favorite line about Buddhism I ever saw was uh, the, the Dalai. When we were in Toronto, the Dalai Lama used to come through pretty
1: regularly because mm. there's a huge tra- uh, Tibetan community. There. I hear he's a big fan of Putin.
2: That's in Montreal. Is he already in Montreal <laughs> Anyway, I will. And on another show,
4: ask me about the relationship. P h u t. No.
2: Anyway. Wow. <laughs> no. Um, ask me about the relationship between the world ukulele Congress and the Dalai Lama sometime. Oh, I,
5: you, you can you will, bet your yeah, buttons. You desperately I desperately
2: want to know this story. Yeah, I'm oh, sad man, this isn't being put in the show.
5: Mark but, so, your calendars <laughs> fans. Yeah.
1: Some,
2: somebody, oh no, it's the weirdest thing I've ever, we found <laughs> about this by the accident. There's well, some other time, but, um, um, uh, I went to go hear him once. I got dragged by some woman and, um, but it was really cool. And this, so this guy finally gets, you know, he takes questions from the audience. And a guy goes up and he goes, and the guy, the guy was really cute. He goes, and, it, and it's like he had no idea where he was or who this Dalai Lama guy was or anything. And he goes, I'm really sorry, man, but what the hell is Buddhism? And it's like, what was really cute was like the Dalai Lama's handlers all kind of froze up. But he laughed,
1: right? And like you do. He,
2: wait, he stakes him there and he goes, yeah, that's a good question. And he, and then he, he laughed, and he goes, everything changes.
1: Yep. Boom. <laughs> that's, that's why my, my favorite explanation of uh, of what are the rules of Zen is sit down and shut up.
4: <laughs> mm-hmm. I, Which is harder uh, than it seems.
1: Oh,
3: I personally yeah. uh, find a lot of humor in Suzuki. Who, who oh, yeah. At, oh. uh, at at retreat at a session, and uh, the the crooked anything, cu- the crooked cucumber, and he just looked around and he said, "As I sit here, I see nothing but Buddhas." Yep. And then you
1: open your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> did you get to, Did you get to see him? Oh God, no. Suzuki, no. No, oh, okay. no, no. no. We're, oh, and we're talking, we're, about, we're talking about, about we're talking know, about su- Sunrio Suzuki Roshi, not DT Suzuki. Ah, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Distinction, yeah. Uh, important it's, it's distinction like that, in
4: Zen. Uh, that old joke about you know it's better to keep your mouth shut and have people think you're an idiot
1: than open it and, and prove everybody right. So right. prove everybody right.
5: Well, uh, on that on that note, I'd like to circle back for a moment to your uh, to your talk about the Chariot because. You got me thinking about a whole new layer to the question, which is, what if you don't change any parts? You don't change the wheels. You don't change the, the harness, but you change the function. So you, oh, attach, right. you attach the chariot to an ox and you load it up with bricks. Yeah. It's no longer a chariot. Is it's it a cart. cart.
1: Yeah. Or if you park it in your living room and fill it full of books, is it now a bookcase?
5: Or put or a big cushion in it and make it into a nice chair. A yeah. Over it, Right. Well, no, nobody answered my question dare?
1: about phenomenology. Oh, how does this? What does this have to do with phenomenology, Andy? That's the question I po- oh. I pose to you. Does it? Oh. Doesn't it? Well, I think I think what
4: people, what, what people tend they, they, people tend to lumber phenomenology with all sorts of impossible d- demands. It's a very mm-hmm. big word. Yes, which it, is, it that, is. Which is it's fun it's to say. Sort of like we're gifted with some kind of uh, phenomenologists, and and I've practiced the discipline now for many decades. As if you know, we can sort of sit here and go, oh, and <laughs> see into the very essence of a thing, right? And then just just lay out this devastating account of what the thing is and its very being, and everybody will go, oh, this, yeah, existentialia, and hold uh, hold their, c- Z.
1: Do and the, and the their hold their cigarettes like this when they, they do and it, and yeah.
4: And mm-hmm. it's not simply not. It's not that uh-huh. um, you want to know. You want right. to. You want to know. I don't. You know the way it's formulated. I'm not sure that phenomenology could do more than to describe mm-hmm. in fairly exhausting and, and exhaustive ways um, the the different kinds of ways in which change and identity present themselves in experience.
1: That's pretty. Yeah, Um, that sounded awesome.
4: As to to being able to discern something like a threshold where, you know, a a small change amounts to a qualitative change or an identity change, Mm -hmm. it's difficult to say. I mean, you know, if you go back in in philosophy, I think probably the, you know, it's probably Aristotle who formulates the first theory of what might be called accidental versus substantial change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, if I, if I, you know, to use no. the example of the chariot, if I take a, a log <clears throat> and I remove the bark and I start sawing it and carving it and turning it into a um, a, a large uh, wooden spoon, okay, uh, it's still wood, and 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 I've 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 changed it, but I've changed it accidentally, to use Aristotle's expression. Yeah, right. But if I take that log and I set it on fire. And I burn it until it's no- nothing is left but ashes and smoke. Then the log has undergone substantial change. It's it has been destroyed, and the 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 hylidic, the, the 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 matter substrate of it has been uh you know has been has, has may remain, but the but the formal cause of it the thing that made it wood has been driven out. It's been replaced by the forms for ash and smoke. So um, Aristotle is probably the first to formulate a theory of change, which which means I think that being able to give an account of of, of when something ceases to be a thing
6: mm-hmm.
4: uh, has to do with the question of what constitutes the identity of a thing and its perdurance. Yeah. Right. What 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 makes a thing be and persist in its being as what it is?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, so. Um,
1: and then you really no, get into the weeds with the idea of
4: at. It's really hard to get at. And, and and in different areas of experience, different things will, will obtain. I mean, do do imaginative objects change the same way as objects of perception do? Let's Ooh. find out. Do mathematical objects change the same way? Obviously, they don't change the same way that objects of perception do. Right. And yet, mathematical objects are objects.
6: Right.
2: And how many licks does it take to get to the center? Yeah. There you <laughs> go. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. One. Two,
4: I right get there. three.
1: Yeah.
4: As truth ceased to be. Right. Uh, you know, these are all interesting questions, but you don't phenomenologically arrive at the same answer by any means. No.
2: The sort of meta level here, too, is that you can ask this question as a theoretical question or as a practical one. Right. Yeah. And Aristotle's answering it as a practical question, and Hugh's description of the phenomenological uh, approach, that's practical. Because you yeah. actually have to go look. And so it's, it's a lot of times you can get stuck inside these theoretical questions. So like, you know, how many molecules does it take to remove, you know, from Rob here until he stops being Rob. And it's like, there might be something wrong with that question.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah.
2: Theoretical. Question. Yeah. I
3: prefer, I prefer when it comes to that, uh, you know, when my cells have all regenerated, am I a new person?
1: What are you Rob? That Rob question. 5.0 by about now? Yeah. I, I am. am. No. Yeah. Yeah. With yeah, upgrades. You're, you're,
3: yeah, please don't take anything away from me. All right, <laughs> you just you just please made my whole
5: hurt my whole head explode because Heisenberg came wandering into the back of my brain and said, "Well, yeah, but you look at something and you change it." Yeah, so, but yeah. that's no,
2: but that's sort of what he said. the The, the real problem is that is that there's nothing wrong... This is what drove Einstein crazy, because Einstein came at this with a sort of theoretical model about what the mechanics of the universe had to yeah,
1: be Yeah, like. the black and white, and white view of it, yeah. And
2: Heisenberg just shows up and he goes, you know, what's interesting about this is, like, if you're trying to bounce... If, you, if you're trying to look at, a, at, at an object, you know, a wrapper, you can see this because you bounce a photon off this thing, the photon goes into your eye, and then there you go. Well, the, this is really big, <laughs> right? If, if you try to bounce a photon off a subatomic particle... A photon obliterates the thing or an electron right? or like even that yeah and um or x-rays mm-hmm. and so on right down finer scales and so here's the thing about this and people always mistake scattering, this scattering scattering, scattering, scattering the scatterings of africa scattering
1: no not scatterlings i know i know so, you know that's why um, i, I threw it at you
4: firing <laughs> photons at africa you're not going to get much
2: not a lot no. so but here's the deal is like <laughs> the thing with heisenberg is like there's nothing wrong with the universe. The universe is fine. The problem is, and this is what Heisenberg brings into this, is our ability to measure it is problematic.
6: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, that's one. Right.
4: That's one interpretation. That's not the. That's the yeah. one.
6: That's
1: the right one. So, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So dumb, it's like is. you know. I just,
5: yeah, just look at Yeah.
1: I look at my. I look at my screen here of of Miller and Peterson. and It's just like the world's weirdest double slit experiment happening right now for me. So it's, it's, uh, that's a that's a physics joke. Should we uh, tell them? Uh, uh,
4: <laughs> yeah. That's right. We're basically just a very large interference.
1: Well, you know, this being my first experience of the two of you at the same time, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Uh, well, we haven't even started to disagree with each other yet. That's yeah, where it gets fun. That's yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure we'll save that for its whole own episode. But I Go ahead, Robert.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, what's that question look like? To see we them hit against each, each other that. and debate it. We
1: don't actually
2: disagree about much because we're always right and we never lie. <laughs> That's the
1: liar's philosopher Words paradox. Live your life, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, here let's go at least not let's... about the important things at the center of our soul. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, but you you, you 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 busy presupposing that soul thing over there, Doctor Miller. Oh, he's, um, he's been painting. That but anyway, yeah. Well, it's is, only- that's
4: a platonic inside joke. You know, you can have the great. You you can have my.
1: Um, I got the shirt right here. Grand.
4: we were doing platonic inside
1: jokes. But I, I tell you what, let's go out with this because we're we're up against All time right. here. But this is this is interesting because you guys have a long and, in some circles, storied history with each other. <laughs> what are the things you disagree about? I would be interested to know where your, yes, where your point yeah. of rub is.
3: That's what I was kind of getting at in terms of the question. I
4: think, I think Mark gives myth a lot more weight than I give it. Ooh.
2: Probably because of the way we define it differently. I, I'm just, I've just come around to relational narrative. Think
4: whatever doesn't have a history, whatever has a definition has no history. Mythology is all about history. Wow. Ooh. That's a Nichiko.
1: That's what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, and that, wow. <laughs> uh, usually we do this better when we've had... Uh, Drinks. Some whiskey. Yeah. Whiskey makes all philosophy better.
2: <laughs> so we may do this a little bit later. There you um, go. I think the one thing that we'll, we will do is that we, um, uh, we haven't been living together for like the last 30 years, but we, the 10 years before that, we were like constantly at sure. each other. And so... We we uh, we correct each other's misunderstandings of things when yeah, we're not. Yeah. Yeah. And I've learned a lot. Help, helpfully correct Indeed. each other's that's, misunderstandings. That's
3: a good way. That's even yeah, that's even when way. they're not wrong.
2: We, we do good it anyway. Taste. Right, and, and, and that has everything to do with just like we've been reading texts a little bit differently. Yes, we've been disagreeing a little bit about Nicomachean Ethics, but because you have this thing about the eye. Right? Yeah,
1: the eye of the soul. Yeah, the this thing. is a thing. I don't think yeah. That matters, but, you're getting into the weeds but, for me there. Then, oh, no, no, yeah. this is where it always happens. This yeah, is we, like, we
4: disagree in the weeds generally, pretty
2: much. <laughs> but the, 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 the longer stuff is is pretty straightforward uh, I think, uh, most of the time. And now it, the real the real the real threat is when we run up against people who don't have our same training. Yeah, and then it then it can be chaos. <laughs> then, then it's, it's not a fair it, fight. It's Chaotic evil. It's really it's chaotic. chaotic evil. Yeah. Did you really tell Derry? You did. So he took out Derry Daw once at a conference, didn't you? Ask him what what about the acoustic illusion. And oh,
4: yeah, yeah. He gave a long talk. This was when he was writing the book on Psyche, and he came up to Loyola and gave a <laughs> – he gave a, what would have been a four-hour paper if Don Salas hadn't told him to cut it down. He cut it down to three and a half. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> and, French, and a lot of it was on Kierkegaard. Right? On oh. And afterwards, I was walking back to the department with Derrida, and I said, well, you know um, – you, you went on about Kierkegaard, but everything you were talking about, Kierkegaard talks about in the fragments under the yeah, title of... Philosophical the Fragments, Illusion. yeah. And, and he said, oh, no, no, it's not that. I said, I think you should read that part of the book again. Sure <laughs> enough. He did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: the, there's a lot of jokes here about the French post-structuralists. It's like the, re- the only reason that there's such a thing as, as French post-structuralism is that none of them read Danish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, here, we're going we're gonna to end on this. This is the most important question, and this does t- a touch back to Kierkegaard uh, in Vino Veritas. What's for dinner, guys? Ooh,
4: what you- oh, um, This is the cook, man. Yeah, I'm, we're probably going to have uh, starchetti con arugula, which is um, sort of beef skirt steak fried with arugula. Yeah, uh, oh. and covered with uh, shavings of um, pecorino.
1: Pecorino, not parmesan. And then
4: we'll have some um, bucatini
1: kashupepe. Uh, oh. oh, sounds like a plan. And a salad. Pepe. you have me at pepe Jeez good stuff yeah. anytime or oh, wait roman food. The next good, solid
4: roman food cheap cheap
1: cheap cheap is the best kind of food all i and i to this day I, I instructed my kid and everybody else in it that the best meals i've ever had in my life were served to me on a paper plate cooked out of a tire iron that's that's where Sweet that's where food, my palate is. Yeah, exactly. Food, well, listen, Save Dr. That. Miller, thanks so much for jumping in and joining in the madness. I think See? we've probably yeah. made everybody's lives uh, both a little bit richer and a little bit worse for wear. Thank you. Uh, but, and again, we'd love to have you back on. Anytime we can sucker you into this uh, yeah, mad venture of ours, uh, we'd appreciate it. Okay. But, uh, gosh, people, that's kind of what we got time for here. Wow, oh, uh, that's miles away. Uh, yeah, make up, make out of it what you can and uh uh you know again do us a favor try to uh help us out a little bit tell your friends about the show like click and subscribe uh down below you can help us out on patreon but until next time this is andrew scott that's dr mark peterson that's dr hugh miller that's chris vicano that's robert anthony and remember keep your hat on we may end up miles from here like we sure as hell just did thanks a lot folks wear your mask get your damn shot we're coming out of this thing take care of each other and we'll see you again next time bye bye everybody
0: holy crap that sure was a lot to uh, uh unpack wade through be dragged through anyway you made it way to go fellow hat wearer or i don't know fellow mammal well there's a chunk of time you can't get back from portland oregon this has been keep your Hat on a big little show about a whole lot of nothing in particular Keep Your Hat On is a Narrowband Broadcast Network production in association with PodSquadPDX.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Robert Anthony and Chris Vacano, associate producers. Our theme music was written and produced by Andrew Scott, along with help from Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative, Chris Vacano Webmaster, available at VacanoCreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott, available at Media.com. Got ideas or comments for the show? Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com. And don't forget to like, click, and subscribe. On behalf of the boys, I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage. Thanks for listening. Uh, I guess. Way to go, fellow hat wearer, or uh, I don't know, fellow... Primate, perhaps, being with a posable thumb. Perhaps it's just a cat sitting on a pedestal listening to my disembodied voice through her mommy's tablet. I don't know. NBBN.
1: The Narrowband Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.